Hey everybody, welcome to episode number 16 of the Galaxy CDs, Rocks, and Flips Reseller Talk Podcast. In today's episode, we will have the normal news updates. We'll have a business recap for the last week of the, uh, the business here at Galaxy CDs Rocks. But first, I wanted to talk about, is reselling unethical? It sounds like a ridiculous question, and it probably is. But over the last couple of weeks, there have been a couple of articles that have made me at least think about this. And I wanted to kind of just share my thoughts because that's what you do on a podcast. <laughs> um, I'll start with just broadly the answer to the question is no. Reselling is not unethical. When you think about most businesses, almost all of them that are in the game of selling something are resellers. Um, manufacturers, to some extent, are resellers. They're buying raw materials or component parts from other places and combining them into some sort of product and then selling that onward. By the time you get something, it may have gone through multiple resellers. It may go to a distributor or a wholesaler before it goes ultimately to a retail store where you purchase it. All of that activity creates value. It's, it's part of what makes a capitalist economy work. You may ask, how do those things create value? Well, obviously, the guy who, the manufacturer who makes something is creating value because they're creating an item. And then they sell and or resell that item on, say, to a distributor or wholesaler. That company creates value by then selling that on to a retailer. And they create value by giving that retail store the opportunity to purchase that item in a quantity that makes sense for them. So a manufacturer may make 10 truckloads of an item. Any given distributor probably doesn't need 10 truckloads. So they buy a truckload and then they offer it to retailers who don't need a truckload. They need a pallet of whatever it is. And then that retail store in turn sells you the one whatever, television that you need. You don't need a truckload of TVs. You need one TV. <laughs> so all along the way, all of those resellers are in some way creating value or opportunity. So you can go to wherever, your retailer of choice to buy a TV and you can buy one TV. And that store bought a pallet of TVs and they marked them up from what they paid from the wholesaler or the distributor who essentially did the same thing. They bought a truckload and broke them down into pallets, marked them up, and sold them to the store. So at every step along the way, items are being resold, value is being created, and the economy functions, and everybody's happy. It's a win-win. You end up, you're able to watch the Super Bowl <laughs> on your nice new big screen TV. So how does that apply to us in what we do as resellers? So we're essentially, we're kind of doing the same thing. We're creating value by finding an item at your local estate sale, garage sale, thrift store, whatever it is, and through whatever platform you choose to sell on, making that item available to someone who is looking for it, who is not in the same locality as you, who didn't have an opportunity to find it at that sale, 
or they're too busy to go out and look at 100 yard sales looking for this one random item. So you're creating value by connecting a piece of merchandise that is local to you with someone who may be completely on the other side of the world. So again, in, from that standpoint, I don't, I don't see anything unethical about it. And now I want to dive into these two kind of articles that I stumbled on and I'll share with you kind of their premise. And then I would, you know, obviously appreciate your comments and feedback. Uh, if you're watching on YouTube, you can leave the comments down below. If you're listening to the podcast, go to anchor.fm slash galaxy CDs rocks, and you can leave me a voice message there. Or you can, of course, email me at galaxy CDs at gmail.com and let me know your thoughts. This first article appeared in the North Texas Daily. Uh, it was a couple of weeks ago, and I kind of ignored it. And then I, I saw another article more recently, and I was like, you know, maybe this is worth talking about. So the premise of the thing, uh, the writer starts off reselling thrift items for three times the price they paid for it has been popularized through online shopping, shopping platforms like Depop. Reselling these items at heightened price contributes to the gentrification of thrift stores, actively harming low-income communities as it takes away affordable clothing and items. Uh, they go on to say, thrifting has recently become popularized, turning its stigma from shameful to trendy, and the wave has induced a positive wave of sustainable and environmentally friendly ways of purchasing clothes. Users reselling thrifting thrifted items for a quick profit has infected apps like Depop growing in popularity every day. Selling $3 shirts from the thrift store for $30 online, however, does not sound ethical. I'll pause there to say I disagree with that. Again, like we just talked about, finding an opportunity, buying something or making something and making it available to others who might be looking for it creates value in the marketplace. And if that item is worth $30, it's worth $30 and it's you know, you found it for three, you should profit on the difference. That is creating value. To continue, low-income communities view thrifting as a necessity, and higher-income individuals view it as a commodity. Reselling thrift items for higher prices and profiting off something that people largely depend on is what makes this practice unethical. The gentrification of thrift stores causes prices to increase, making affordable clothing and items much more difficult for lower-income communities. It causes thrift stores to shift their prices to suit their new, wealthier consumers and displace their primary low-income consumers. Again, I will pause and I will say, that is true. And we've commented on it within the reselling community. You go into some thrift stores now, and the pricing on some stuff is just, <laughs> it's gone through the roof. And that's, that's the market at work. Obviously, those thrift stores have seen a demand for these items and the price curve has gone up for those items. And it's just, it's natural. So again, it's not on us as resellers or, you know, the trendy hipster that's trying to buy, you know, the cool shirt or whatever it is to control the pricing at the thrift store. My feeling is the thrift store needs to make a decision on what their mission is. If they're there to offer merchandise at low prices to serve their underserved and low-income communities, then they, they should just do that. They shouldn't be concerned about the price, and they shouldn't be concerned about whether or not it is me as a reseller 
for the members of that community that purchase it because it's still money coming in that allows them to keep the doors open and keep the operation running. If, however, they're a for-profit organization, then of course they should react to the market and raise the price. And again, you're seeing that in, you know, in Goodwills across the country where you go in and an item that you used to be able to get for two or three bucks is all of a sudden 10 or 12. And it makes it difficult as a reseller to make money on that item. That's not Goodwill's problem. Goodwill is totally entitled to go make that money if they choose to do so. This writer obviously feels that that is doing a disservice to the local low-income underserved community. Uh, Continuing on, resellers surging thrift stores for cool trendy finds and buying in bulk are ultimately taking away from low-income communities in bulk. Thrifting is not wrong, but profiting off something that people need in order to maintain their standard of living is. It is unethical and maintains itself on classist ideals. Recognizing that having the intent of thrifting and reselling your thrifted pieces for outrageous prices takes away from the underprivileged, we can do better than giving in to exploitative practices. Again, I'm, I'm, I understand the point. And, but I disagree with the premise that it is resellers fault that this is the situation. As I just said, it's, that's the thrift store's decision to make. If they want to continue to serve the community at reasonable prices, they can't pick and choose who buys their items and what those people then choose to do with them. If they want to make market value on those things, then they should mark them up. And yes, unfortunately that will impact that low income community um, but that's the the thrift store's decision. That's not it's not on resellers' ethics to make sure that that situation is resolved in a uh, equitable fashion, as it were. So I I understand the point uh, to a point. I guess if if I thought like resellers were cleaning out thrift stores, maybe it would be a different scenario but i don't really see that anytime i go into a thrift store man they're just overwhelmed with merchandise and there's seems to be plenty to go around so i just i disagree with most of this on its face but it is thought-provoking so i will give it that the second article that i read uh which i will also link to this comes actually from singapore um it's about the shoe game and uh, if you follow along with any other of the, you know, the big resellers that are doing shoes, there is huge money in the shoe resale market. And he references a teenager who claimed to be making $30,000 a month reselling collectible sneakers. The point that this writer makes is the sneaker industry is rife with resellers who are increasingly crowding out customers who actually want to wear their purchased shoes just for the sake of making a quick buck. Resellers wipe out the stocks of in-demand products, whether they are sneakers or the latest iPhones, and they're not really very different from another universally reviled group of sellers, ticket scalpers. That's kind of a stretch, but... (laughs) Uh, The next headline is uh, scummy practices. Price gougers most commonly resort to underhanded tactics such as deploying bots, which effectively wipes out a real customer's hopes of getting a fair chance to buy what they're after at retail price. To make matters worse, resellers often snap up multiple pieces of the same product, like blocks of concert seats, to create an artificial demand which ends up further driving up prices. 
back in the pre-coronavirus days when resellers would camp out outside stores overnight to get their hands on popular releases, there was perhaps some small argument that there was some utility to what they did. They were, after all, practicing arbitrage by bridging the gap in the market. They sold the service of standing in line overnight on behalf of cash-rich but time-starved individuals. Where the line should be drawn, though, is at the rent-seeking behavior of resellers who hoard products to flip huge profits without benefiting anybody or adding any value to the market. Again, on the, on the surface level, I completely disagree with that. I'm, I'm curious why a manufacturer like Nike or Adidas, who has a shoe that they know is going to be super hot, doesn't price it to where that market already is. They're selling them for $150 or $200, and the, the secondary shoe market is two, three, four times that number. I'd be curious why Nike makes the decision to not just put it out there at that price and see what happens. <laughs> uh, maximize the profit, because clearly, clearly there are people willing to pay that. Where I do have a problem, and I agree with the writer, is the use of the bots, the use of technology. Uh, it would be analogous to having somebody on the inside of a thrift store I disagree with that practice. I don't think you should have an unfair advantage. I have no problem with resellers shopping at ship uh, at thrift stores. I have no problem with shoe resellers buying the hot new shoe off of Nike.com or wherever it is they get them. But when we cross that next threshold into using inside edges or technological edges to squeeze out the competition be they other resellers or actual end users, then I think we were on kind of a fuzzy line of whether or not that practice would be ethical. It's certainly profitable, clearly, or people wouldn't be doing it. It's not something I would do personally. Let me know your thoughts on it. I think it probably does cross that ethical line. As the writer mentions, you know, standing in line when a shoe is about to drop, again, you've created some sort of usefulness of value in the marketplace by creating a service where Joe in Idaho who doesn't have a store near him can get this item in the secondhand market in the resale market but when you're using a bot to buy a hundred pairs of shoes to then flip for significant profit I'm not sure that I agree with that practice Uh, The writer goes on to say that retailers have been hard at work trying to curb this unfair behavior by implementing purchasing limits. Many websites also now have bot detectors to weed them out. But of course, this is a never-ending game of cat and mouse. According to a recent report by sneaker marketplace Ox Street, about 80% of sneakerheads have tried to buy shoes on the resale market. And surely this is exerting an upward pressure on sneakers prices to no one's benefit except the sellers. And again, you could make the argument if there's 80% of sneaker buyers that are willing to buy on those, the secondhand, the resale platforms, A, the market is there and B, we as resellers are creating value in the economy by providing a service, by making those shoes available at whatever price the market will bear. You can kind of probably sense where I'm coming down on this whole ethical argument. (laughs) Uh, Lastly, the the writer says, finally, while it is true that some resellers do possess a certain moxie, is their brand of money-making truly the kind of entrepreneurship we wish to laud? 
After all, their profits are earned by unfairly gaming the market. So what good comes out of this type of hustle anyway? And again, I would agree with that maybe up to a point. Um, I am under no illusions that I'm creating value in the marketplace like uh, Bill Gates did when they created Microsoft. I'm, I'm not that kind of entrepreneur. I'm not trying to create that kind of value in the marketplace. And those people deserve all the respect and accolades that they can get. But I don't agree that what we are doing is somehow not valuable or unethical. So again, let me know in the comments what you think about these two articles and about the ethical behavior and where where would that line be for you? Are you a shoe reseller and do you use bots? Is this something that you think is a viable, legitimate business practice? Or would you agree that this probably crosses the line into potentially unethical behavior? Let me know in the comments below or send me a message at galaxycds at gmail.com. And with that, we are going to take a quick sponsor break. Shout out to my man, Timmy P, the individual contributor to the show. And we will be right back. News updates. And we're back. All right, let's get into the reselling news. Uh, for starters, speaking of sneakers, eBay announced that they are going to start verifying sneakers sold for more than $100. Uh, with the help of independent experts, eBay will now vet sneakers sold for more than $100 in the U.S. as part of its authenticity guarantee program, the company announced earlier this week. Sellers will send their sneakers to a third-party authentication facility for an inspection to verify that the items sold are consistent with the listing title, description, and images. The platform has enlisted SneakerCon to create a new facility and use its authenticator's expertise, the company said. For sellers offering returns, the company will also ensure that sold items are returned to the seller. The service, which launches launches this month, will include sneakers sold over the platform for more than $100 by early 2021. Uh, eBay has announced, obviously, multiple programs, initiatives to help both buyers and sellers with kind of high-value items. Uh, the article goes on to say it's aimed at building trust between consumers and online sellers. In September, the platform debuted its Authenticity Guarantee Program for high-end watches, sold for more than $2,000. Uh, they've also announced a partnership with the Prova Group in July to authenticate sports memorabilia. So these kind of high-end, collectible, expensive items, they're aiming for a way to maintain trust and respect between buyers and sellers and to verify that items going back and forth are indeed what they claim to be. So I think that's a good program. Uh, it's at no cost to you as a seller. So that's really nice as well. You just send it off to their, wherever this warehouse is, kind of like the global shipping program. You send it to them, they do their inspection, and then they forward it on to the customer. So nice, nice setup. I don't sell $2,000 watches or $100 sneakers. But for those of you who do, that looks like a good program. eBay also announced a new certified refurbished program requirement update. Uh, we have updated our certified refurbished program to ensure that buyers are able to find and purchase like new refurbished inventory in select categories with confidence on eBay and 
reduce item not as described returns for qualified sellers. From October 9th, 2020, items listed as certified refurbished need to meet our updated item condition requirements and be approved by our certified refurbished team. To qualify for the certified refurbished program, items must meet the following condition requirements. You are the manufacturer or you are a manufactured approved vendor, in which case you will need to provide evidence that you are authorized to resell the merchant manufacturer's products. Your inventory meets certain certified refurbished condition requirements and you are in good standing, have average or better service level metrics and follow all eBay policies. Inventory that does not meet all of the above condition requirements should be listed as quote unquote seller refurbished and can't used certified refurbished or any similar terms on the listings title, subtitle, description, and or item specifics. So the categories are laptops, portable audio, power tools, small kitchen appliances, and vacuums with more categories to be added over time. I will link to that in the show notes as well. Moving on to Amazon. Uh, Prime Day. Prime Day happened this past week. Uh, A lot of sellers out of the blue were shocked, shocked that their sales in the middle of the week dropped off. What happened? Prime Day. (laughs) Uh, Annually, it is typically Amazon's biggest event of the year. Historically, it has for the last Half a dozen years or so been their biggest day ever each year increasing. Uh, So, of course, you know, all our our sales dropped off a little bit. Everybody was on Amazon spending money. Uh, I bought one box of coffee. (laughs) Uh, There was just nothing I really needed. Uh, And they had a really good deal on some Gavalia K-Cups. So uh, I bought one box of coffee. I spent $19 on Prime Day. So there you go. Um, uh, article indicating that Prime Day maybe was not quite the Prime Day of years past. Every year, Amazon issues a post-Prime Day press release about how well it went, and this year was no different, but there was one thing missing from this year's press release about the sales event that took place Tuesday and Wednesday, the claim that this was the biggest day ever for Amazon. Uh, Relevant excerpts. 2016, biggest day ever for Amazon. 2017, biggest day ever in Amazon history. 2018, biggest shopping event in Amazon history. 2019, largest shopping event in Amazon history. 2020, the two biggest days ever for third-party sellers. (laughs) Uh, So reading between the lines, um, third-party sellers did really, really well. The company claims that third-party sellers this year had 3.5 billion with a B billion dollars in sales across 19 countries, which was up nearly 60% from the year prior. And that prime members saved $1.4 billion over the course of the event. However, they did not make any claim that this was their biggest day ever, that this was the biggest sales day ever, biggest event ever, anything like that. So analysts, you know, reading the tea leaves think that this one probably fell short of breaking a record for Amazon. Uh, my heart bleeds for Amazon and the billions of dollars they made over those two days. If it wasn't their biggest day ever, uh, that's, that's the breaks. Not every year can be your best ever. 
and that's probably the topic actually for another podcast, but this goal of constantly increasing things, I, I don't know that it's sustainable in the long run. Eventually there's a ceiling. You max out. There's a, there is a maximum that you can do. It may take you forever to, to get to that point, but at some point you can't keep setting new sales records, but that's, that's a topic for another podcast. So in any event, um, the analyst says, based on the language of Amazon's press releases and similar web data, it appears that Prime Day 2020 was not the biggest day ever. Maybe because of that, or maybe this was in the works all along, there was another article that points out that less than 48 hours after it wrapped up Prime Day, Amazon has already moved on to offering early deals ahead of the holidays. A uh, company on Friday launched its Holiday Dash Deals event, which will feature a range of new discounts each day. Uh, to compensate for the earlier start, Amazon has also extended its returns window, so that's something to be aware of, so that most items shipped now through December 31st can be returned until January 31st of 2021. So, like I said, I don't know if that was in the works previously. I would guess, given the pandemic, that it probably was, that this was something that they were planning on doing anyway. As many other retailers are, they're kind of spreading the Black Friday stuff over a longer time window to cut down on crowds and so on. Amazon obviously doesn't have to worry about dealing with crowds, but it makes sense for them to also extend their window to try to capitalize on the kind of overall change in the marketplace. Speaking of business, let's get into my recap real quick. And oh, thankfully, back to normal <laughs> here at the Galaxy. Uh, if you caught the podcast last week, you know the, the week prior was not that great. The week before that was fantastic. So when you added it all up and divided it by two, it was right on target for where it normally is. And this week, we're kind of right there in that window as well. Uh, no sourcing this week. My dining room is still full of books. My living room is still full of books. My garage is still full of books and CDs. So I did not go out this week. Uh, I did do a ton of listing again. Um, I think last week I did 225. This week it came in at 220, which I was really pleased with because I did mostly books. And again, like I've mentioned in the past, those are not pre-sorted like the CDs are. So there's a little bit more time involved. Uh, if you're watching this on YouTube, you can probably see behind me, there's a stack, ever-growing stack <laughs> uh, of books. Those are the ones I've, I've talked about in the past. If I can't sell a book or a CD or whatever for at least 8 to $10 by itself, I generally won't list it anymore. I will lot it up with others. This is the, the kind of the remnants, the lower priced stuff that's waiting to be lotted up with other things or boxed up to be in my next uh, overstock slash yard sale blowout, which we're probably past the time of year where I'll do that. So uh, that's probably going to be a spring activity. I'm afraid I'm going to have to get a storage unit. I really don't want to spend the money, but I am just literally running out of room. On the sales front, uh, like I said, right kind of back to normal, 1367.74. So right on target in that mid $1,300 range, which is where I normally average. Cost of goods sold, however, was really, really low. $33.46. Uh, gross profit for the week, 97.55%. 
That's probably borders on unethical. <laughs> uh, that's just craziness to me. Uh, Thirteen thirty-four twenty-eight uh, gross profit in terms of dollars. So ninety-seven point five five percent. Part of that is I didn't sell any wholesale lots of CDs last week, so I didn't have any kind of margin crushing. Not that you know ninety-five percent gross profit is having your margin crushed, uh, but I didn't have anything like that. And this big lot of books that I'm working through. I've had a lot of sales off of that. Those books I own for a quarter a piece and they're selling on average for probably 22 to $25. So the margins on that have just been outstanding. Operating expenses for the week, four fifty six nineteen. So kind of right online with normal, giving me a net profit for the week of 64.2%. Ooh. That is nice. That is a tidy number. Uh, Dollar-wise, it was eight seventy-eight oh nine. Just a little short. Nine hundred dollars would be ideal, but I'm I'm within twenty-two bucks of that. I will take it. A really good week, even with the Tuesday Wednesday Prime Day dip, uh, which I really didn't experience. My Tuesday was pretty strong. Wednesday was a little soft, but uh, again, overall the week. Was pretty amazing. I hope you had a great week. I hope you're geared up for another great week. As always, thanks for stopping by and spending a little time. And with that, it's time to sell. Thanks, guys. You have been listening to the Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. Thank you for tuning in, and we will catch you next week.